0: over 30 years of serving the Arizona homeowner. 14 years in a row ranking Arizona's best referral network. RosieOnTheHouse.com. Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. It's Rosie On The House. Hour number two of Rosie On The House. We call this our On The House Hour. We spend the hour talking about something physically on your home and Although this isn't necessarily a building component of your home, your home wouldn't be anything without water. Where we get that water and where our state is and the condition of our rivers is what we're talking about today. We've got uh, Central Arizona Project N, uh, commonly known as CAP, returning guest, Vanitha Carthra, the Colorado River Programs Manager, Noly Templeton, the Planning Analysis, and the Colorado River Programs. And I'm not supposed to say anything, but Diet Pearson's here in spirit behind the mic. <laughs> you know, she's always here. Every CAP uh, broadcast interview we've done, uh, she's been a part of. Some would liken her to you know, the nun with the ruler that's just waiting to slap you if you say something wrong, but I use more like the emotional support on the couch. Just, you're doing good. You're doing good. So thank you all for being here with us this Saturday morning, Noli. Let's start with you because uh, I was listening to our last broadcast from September 17th, where you were quoting an August study about the possible coming tier two. First, what study were you referencing?
1: Sure, so that's the Bureau of Reclamation's 24 month study. Um, This is a study that they conduct every month. Um, However, the most important study and the one that we pay particular close attention to is the August 24 month study. Um, And that's because the August 24 month study, so it projects the water elevations at Lakes Powell and Mead for the next 24 month period. And the August 24-month study uh, projection of the end of calendar year elevations at Lake Powell and Mead is what is used to determine what uh, operating condition Lake Mead may be in for the next year. And so last August, uh, it was projected that Lake Mead would be in a Tier 2A shortage condition for 2023. And so we are operating in a Tier 2A shortage condition.
0: Now... It comes out monthly, but the one that y'all adjust for is in August. I would imagine those monthly reports after August looked a whole lot different.
1: They – well, it took a little bit. So, at first, it was a Tier 2A, and as you may have known, you know, we were still under – and we still are – under drought conditions. We're in the driest 23-year period on record, um, the driest conditions in, you know, 1,200 years. Um, And so – we were anticipating the reservoirs to, to continue to decline, um, which was dependent on the next year's snowpack. And so um, a pleasant surprise was that this last winter was quite snowy, um, what we've been calling a magical snow year. Um, however, uh, even though it's been a great snowpack, it doesn't take away the fact that we are still in a 23 year driest period on record.
0: And although I do think the Colorado River system and Arizona have great reservoirs and a very well maintained uh, procedure, there was still a lot of runoff we couldn't capture uh, that just had to pass right through. And uh, you know, it didn't, our reservoirs were already full. They were having to release water just for the anticipated influx. And there was only so much that was captured. So even though it was wet, there was still some loss of, of water retention.
1: Yeah, so I think what what you're speaking to is the Salt River project and on the Salt and Verde system. Um they had I think the highest number I saw was 350% of average snowpack, which is which is a super wet super magical snow year. Um and yeah, exactly to what you said it we saw the Salt River flowing right and that was a um a pretty cool thing to see. I don't, you know. And so um
0: now that isn't our in-state water system, the Colorado River obviously most of that snowpack comes from you know, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah. Are we going to anticipate that kind of runoff? I mean Mead and Powell were pretty low i'd I'd imagine it take a few magical snow years to get that kind of water inflow to it, fill those reservoirs up
1: exactly. so at the end of last year we were looking at about twenty five percent system capacity for lakes Mead and Powell um, the Colorado River Basin so, the Colorado River flows from snow that falls largely in Colorado, Utah, and Wyoming. Um, and that Colorado and the snowpack is at about 161 percent of median for this year, which is great, above average. Uh, we're expecting a a good runoff with that. Um, But even with that, you know, the system capacity will still be, is projected to be at about 35% by the end of this calendar year. So that's incorporating all of the great runoff that we got from this really magical snowpack year. We will still be at about 35% capacity.
0: And I'm looking at your CAP dashboard. You know, there's six reservoirs above Powell and Mead. Now, none of them are as big, but they're all at, you know, 90% plus capacity you get down to Powell and Mead and you're still you know 39 and 31 percent so it's you know, the, the upper river basins and reservoirs are full they're not as big and I, I pretty think it's pretty fair to say these larger reservoirs Lake Mead and Lake Powell I mean they feed a lot more people in their AG fields they're There's not near the amount of water distribution in those upper regions either.
1: Exactly. So Lake Powell is about, uh, its system capacity is 23 million acre feet. Lake Mead's at 26 million acre feet. Uh, Those six upper basin reservoirs, the largest of which is about 3 million acre feet, and the other ones are substantially smaller than that. So the total system storage in those upper, upper basin reservoirs is a lot smaller than what Lake Powell, um, and especially Lake Powell and Lake Mead combined, are. Um, and it's great that they're doing well. Uh, however, it's it's a drop in the bucket, really, when you compare them to Lakes Powell and Lake Mead.
0: All right. Noli Templeton, what does a planning analysis in the Colorado River programs uh, spend their day doing?
1: It depends <laughs> on the day. <laughs> uh, often it's looking at the upper basin hydrology. So that means the... Um, Upper Colorado River Basin, what the stream flow is doing, what the snowpack looks like, what our soil moisture conditions are, trying to understand what, how the system is. Uh, why do we care about that? Because, you know, Central Arizona Project uh, conveys Colorado River water to Central Arizona, and Colorado River water comes from that Colorado River Basin headwaters. Um, so we're always looking at the hydrology of the Colorado River Basin. Um, it also looks at Oh, there's a whole list of <laughs> different ideas. Uh, no, no
0: shortage though. No shortage, and like you said, every day can be different. And I bet what y'all thought you were going to be doing a couple, you know, at last September has changed drastically to today. And be interesting to see what next August's annual report uh, shows and, and how that's changed. Uh, so thanks for for coming in again this morning, Vanessa Carstar. You are the Colorado River Programs Manager. How is that? Uh, you know what? What is your focus in the day,
2: Romy? First, thank you for having us here. It's a great pleasure, and I'm I'm really really thrilled to be back here again. I had a really good time last year, so I'm hoping to do that once again this year as well. So my focus as the Colorado River Programs Manager is primarily interacting with the other seven basin states that share the Colorado River supplies with the state of Arizona as well as the Republic of Mexico, So, which means ensuring that we get to keep our supply of Colorado River water, which is very important because Colorado River is really the largest renewable supply of water to the state of Arizona. It is 40% of our water supply portfolio. So this supply is really important to us. So we ensure, my role is um, with my team, ensuring that we keep our supply, ensuring we are able to deliver that water supply to Central Arizona project to the six million people that rely on this very important supply. And as you know, we also, because we, We deliver water supplies to the the counties, Maricopa County, Pinal Agriculture, and also in the Pima County. We are delivering to uh, more than 80% of the state of Arizona's population, which supports a trillion-dollar economy since CAP started delivering water.
0: And when you talk about being 40% of the state's water, think of it this way. Uh, Try and think of your life with 40% less water. You know, I, I don't think anybody could sustain very well or survive, much less our agriculture, our plants and our crops and uh, our, you know, our cattle and ranching industries. So that's very critical. And you're more of the long-term visionary when it comes to working with the other states that all draw from the Colorado River and making sure that you know, there's going to be the proper amount of allocation and water uh, to, to maintain that.
2: Yes, absolutely. So like Noli was mentioning earlier, we have been in a 23-year drought, and we have been very conscious of that, and we have been very resilient, and primarily we have been able to build resiliency and strength through collaborative action with the other states, especially with our lower basin states partners of California and Nevada. So one of the things that you probably have seen in the newspapers over the past five or six months is that the Department of Interior is taking actions to stop or mitigate the um, uh, impacts that Lake Mead and Lake Powell are having from this long drought of 23 years. So in November, they announced um, an intent to take some actions towards that. In April, they released a study which basically talked about three primary proposals, one which was no action, business as usual. The second proposal would have essentially taken Central Arizona project supplies to zero. And then the third proposal was um, taking reduction across all the lower basin states water users. But we have in collaboration with Arizona, uh, California, and Nevada have come up with a better proposal.
0: I would say option number 1 probably wasn't on the table very long.
2: We hated it.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine anybody looking at that and saying, you know, we weren't going to change anything. So, well, so we have an option number 4 and we can do a lot of things here at Rosie on the House, but we can't stop the clock. So, uh, after break, can we dive into a little bit more about what that new proposal I would is? be
2: very happy to.
0: All right. Very good. Well, it's Rosie on the house with you Saturday morning. We're talking our water supply here in the great state of Arizona because we can't have our homes without them. We've got Vanessa Carstra and Noli Templeton joining us in studio. Picking right back up in our conversation, Vanessa, you had mentioned all these options. First of all, who are presenting these options? Is this all the other uh, you know, lower basin states, and the the equivalent of the CAPs for Nevada and uh, California that were putting these together, or was this uh, a grander? Um, you know, umbrella breach like the the Department of Reclamation. Who who put these original proposals together?
2: That's an excellent question. So these proposals were primarily put together by the Bureau of Reclamation. So this is a process under the National Environmental Policy Act. So they have to take environmental studies if they were going to change anything which includes a federal action. In this case, it was changing the operations of Lakes Mead and Lakes Powell. So for that reason, the the proposals that were put in that environmental impact statement were primarily put together by reclamation.
0: And so they presented this to the lower basin states. You guys said, okay, that's good. Now why don't you let somebody who knows what they're doing put together a fourth proposal for you and...
2: Sure. So, well, when the proposal was presented to the entire public, we hated proposal number one because it would have meant taking CAP supplies to zero. We did not like that. So the states of Arizona, California, and Nevada, we have been working together and we started to try to go back on history and how much we have historically collaborated together to come up with conservation. So between the three basin states, we have agreed to come up with 3 million acre feet of water to be conserved in Lake Mead over the next four years. Um, This was also helpful because as Noli pointed out, the hydrology we have right now after the winter from 2023 is excellent. So Mother Nature helped us out. I mean, she came through very strong. So with that, and with the additional conservation from these lower basin states, we that's the proposal that we have put together for reclamation to consider.
0: Now, I, I love numbers, but I'm I even I'm having a hard time keeping up. You said to conserve 3 million acre feet. Nola, you were throwing out how many acre feet each one of these reservoirs contain. What is that the equivalent to? Do to
1: put it into relative terms, CAP historically has delivered about 1.5 million acre-feet to the state of Arizona per year. Uh, in recent times, we've had to reduce how much we're delivering to Arizona, so it's gone down to about a million acre-feet. Um, per year? Per year.
0: So that 3 million acre-feet water would be a three-year supply of what CIP is custom to using during this current tier one but again we're not the only ones that are taking water off of the colorado river and there's still a pass through mexico still part of this river system as well
1: the way that the lower basin states um have their allocation is about is seven and a half million acre feet per year that is split between california which has a 4.4 million acre foot allocation arizona which has a 2.8 million acre foot allocation. Nevada has 300,000 acre foot allocation. And then in addition to that, uh, through the 1944 treaty, Mexico gets one and a half million acre feet of water. This is per year. And so if we go back to Arizona, it's 2.8 million acre feet per year, assuming not, no shortage conditions or um, none of the agreements we've uh, put into place over the last two decades to preserve the system. Um, And so typically, historically, that's been about one and a half million acre feet for CAP and then the rest along the river. Um, But yes, in recent years, with our different shortage, uh, different shortage declarations, we've needed to reduce how much CAP delivers to central Arizona.
0: Now, an 88 year old, well, 79 year old treaty on the the water. How long is a treaty good for? And, you know, the. The technology that we had then, uh, you know, that CAP wasn't even started construction until what, 25 years after that treaty. So uh, it, how, how often do we have to look at that treaty or is it just indefinite and as good as our knowledge and water distribution plan was in 1944, we're stuck with managing that even with, you know, the, the technology and water monitoring ability we have today?
2: It is a forever treaty. We have an obligation. The United States has an obligation to deliver a certain volume to the Republic of Mexico. But going back to the word C collaboration, Mexico has been a great partner with the United States and they have agreed to take reductions along with the lower basin states that is they take reductions when cap takes reductions mexico takes reductions as well so they have been a great partner
0: and i guess i wasn't even really trying to cut mexico out my thought is with everybody that's moving over from california they say the average household uses about an you know an acre foot of water three houses houses use acres so for every three homes that move from California and relocate to Arizona, shouldn't we get their water distribution off the river? Should shouldn't their water nice? rights come with them? <laughs> I think we need to come back to that 1944. I don't think of everything that they foresaw in that was the amount of people moving from California to Arizona. We we need them to come with their water.
2: <laughs> I mean, of course, that would be really, really great. And especially with some of the snowpack that they have gotten this year. But the one good thing in the state of Arizona is we have had some amazing roles especially with the 1980 Groundwater Management Act. So if you look at the water use in Arizona, we are using the exact same amount of water that we used back in 1950s. A lot of it has to do with the 1980s Groundwater Management Act, and also a lot of the regulations that are in the active management areas, which is the Phoenix metropolitan area, the Pinal County, and also the Tucson area. So we have been doing really well across the entire world in making sure we are living within our water supplies we're
0: going to hit bottom of the hour news break continue our conversation with central arizona project canal right after this we've got Vanessa Carthur and noli templeton in studio with us from cap thing that was the news break. We needed the longer segment for Dietz to uh, work a ruler over on me, getting my details correct here on. Uh, I, the, there was the 1944 treaty that uh, we were talking about, but that was bringing Mexico into it. Um, the talk, it, it was before that that there was actually the, the in-state the compact that divided the lower and upper basin that is now at 101 years.
2: That is exactly right, Romy. So in 1922 is when the Colorado River Basin sub-state supplies were divided amongst the upper and the lower basin. And if you remember, the early 1900s was when we had really good snowpack. We had some amazing snowpacks and runoff, the river was flowing high there was flooding so we got seven and a half million acre feet for the upper basin and seven and a half for the lower basin supplies so we have been living within those supplies and then came in mexico in 1944
0: with 1.5 million acre feet and you had mentioned how we're using the same amount of water that we were you know 75 years ago roughly which leads to To and you said part of that was the regulations that came in, but we get that asked a lot. Why aren't there more regulations? Well, there's a ton of regulations, but for a homeowner, I think our water suppliers do such a good job, we don't see the impact to our homes.
2: That is exactly right. All the cities that are located within an active management area, and to translate that, in the Phoenix metropolitan area, in the Pinal County, and also in the Phoenix in the um, Tucson metropolitan area these are regulated under active management areas and for that reason, they have some really stringent regulations, one of the most stringent regulations. So for example, every entity that is building a home in this these AMAs, they have to have a hundred year assured water supply, meaning they have to have assured water supply legally, technically, and physically for the next hundred years. We are maybe the only state that have a regulation like that. So. With that, because of that assured water supply, the cities must ensure that those water supplies remain and they have a portfolio of conservation regulations that each of the citizens can tap into to reduce their own water supplies.
0: And the impossible question to answer that everyone asks, and I'm just kinda open this up to the room, people will then ask us, well, how much growth can Arizona sustain? How many more people can come? And you know, we can't answer that because Last time we were talking, only we didn't know about the magic snow winter that was coming mm-hmm. just a couple months later.
1: <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at Benita. Um
0: That's the impossible question to answer.
2: Yeah, I think I would say so. Let's let's go back a few years. Right. So back in 2000, when we started this 23 year drought, our reservoirs were 92 percent full right and then four years of drought which was subsequent just right one after the other we went down by 50 percent. so you have to think of the reservoirs as a wine glass so if you're down to the or a martini glass so if you're down to the bottom of the martini you get one sip but if you're at the top you have many sips right so if you're like me if you put like olives in there you know it's just great so Think about it like that. Right now, Mead and Powell are at the bottom of the martini glass. To get to that top, to get more sips from those martini glasses, we need to have more years of this magical snowpack, at least for the next five to six, if not eight to nine years. So uh, we cannot rest just yet. So Noli and I have to continue to do, a, uh, do a, this important job of ensuring our water supplies through the Colorado River.
0: And when we're talking, this <laughs> uh, wine glasses and martinis and water supply, you know, all of those things take a lot of water to create the martini, to create the wine. Something else that I'd love talking about is water and electricity and how they go hand in hand. When you are using water at your home, you're also using electricity. The cities has a huge infrastructure making sure that there's pumps that are pressurized and delivering that water. But to make electricity, you also need water. CAP is the biggest single user of electricity in the state of Arizona because it's expensive to move a million plus acre feet of water.
2: That is exactly right. And that is one other impact that we have been seeing with these reduced water uh, supplies in the Colorado River because the levels of both Powell and Mead are down, especially with regards to Lake Powell. When I think I came and spoke to you last time, we were at a stage when we were trying to protect not only water deliveries, but to a certain extent, hydropower generation and Glen Canyon Dam. We are so low that if we go, maybe last year we were at close to 35, 23, and if we went 20, 30 feet below that, we would not be able to produce hydropower at Glen Canyon Dam. So it is an important aspect. That's something we are also watching over.
0: And when we're talking about, uh, you know, that's hydroelectric generation. Well, every other s- source of electric generation requires water, APS, the nuclear power plant. All that you're doing is heating water. Same with a coal generator. You're just using different heat sources where this one's nuclear and this one's coal. All you're doing is heating water to create steam, this immense steam that spins the turbines. And even a natural gas, if it is a natural gas generator that's just using the gas, well, there's the mining process to create that natural gas creates a lot of water consumption as well. So every time we use electricity, we're using water. Every time we're using water, we use electricity. So by being aware of that, and you know doing everything we can to conserve both we're saving the water supply
2: yes absolutely everything we do even you know let's just go to the households right because when I go home, if I'm very conscious about taking a shorter shower and turning the faucet off and I'm brushing my teeth, or maybe perhaps turning my grass lawn into something else, all of those, even just one single act. I think Rosie was here last time when we did this interview and talk, and he suggested that every one of our listeners take a 10%. Reduction into their water use. And I want to bring that message back again to the audience. If all of you take effort to reduce your water use by 10%, that would help us tremendously do our jobs even better.
0: 10% multiplied by how many millions of homes adds up pretty substantially.
2: Absolutely, yes.
0: Now, there was a new word that I wanted to uh educate our listeners on when i was reading through we had magical snowpack that was a new (laughs) one but uh tell me about this aridification aridification where are my hyphens in here there's an i in between the d and the i or the d and the f but it seems like that one's silent
1: aridification (laughs) yeah we have it as our six syllable word um we have an awesome explainer on know your water news for aridification if anybody wants to check it out um but a is the drying of a landscape, and so going back to what Venitha was referencing, the 1922 compact, um, the the flow at least ferry was about 15 million acre feet. Um, over the last two decades, that flows 12 and a half million acre feet. Um, What we've seen in the last several decades is hotter temperatures in the Colorado River Basin, and that impacts our water cycle. And so when we think about, you know, the water cycle that we learn in elementary school and um, we think about precipitation. So that's the water that goes onto the landscape. And then we think about evapotranspiration. So that's water that's either evaporated or transpires from plants. And then we have runoff, and that's what the water that makes it to the Colorado River. And so what we're seeing as these temperatures are going higher is that more of that snow, instead of that precipitation, instead of it coming down as snow, will be coming down as rain. Um, What that means is that we're going to have also a thirstier atmosphere. So as temperatures increase, there's um, higher rates of of evapotranspiration, uh, thirstier plants, thirstier atmosphere. Uh, that also makes our soils drier and so when that snow isn't falling and sitting on our soil then it's not able to um, soak up the moisture right as a sponge and so when you do get that rain it uh, tends to run off quicker all of these different aspects um, essentially mean less runoff and so As we look towards the future for Central Arizona Project, our mission is to reliably deliver Colorado River water to Central Arizona. So we have to be very cognizant of uh, the actual physical conditions within the Colorado River Basin. Um, And that's something too that's at the forefront as we start looking towards uh, post-2026 negotiations.
0: And we'll get to post-2026 because that's an interesting date when we cover this topic and we had a survey uh, last time it was still open last time you are on last summer because there was some new legislation designating money towards the water resources in Arizona separate from anything we're talking about what if you were controlling that money where would you spend it and we had thrown it open and there's a lot of people and I won't say it won't ever happen but you get a lot of uh additional water resource concepts that are thrown at you like we need to uh, pipe water over from the mississippi river at the davenport davenport uh, diversion in iowa straight over to the green river and dump it in there we need to bring it off the snake river and drop it in all of those things you know they're interesting in, to think about in concept but how long did it take them to build the cap canal from start to finish
1: Oh, I think it was nineteen sixty something. Nineteen eighty five, I think, when deliveries first started. And nineteen sixty two.
0: You know, so we're that's, that's at least twenty years right. time frame for three hundred and thirty six miles. Now, you said the first delivery in eighty five. The the canal didn't even finish, I believe, and the final delivery point till ninety two. Yes. Right. So Sorry. you're you're talking about, you know, basically A mile a year on getting this canal built and delivery on it averaged out. You know how far it is from Davenport to Wyoming (laughs) at the head of the green? I mean, we're talking triple (laughs) the the distance in some of these cases. And, you know, we're going through a lot of farmlands and the easements. One nice thing I think about Arizona and the CAP, when you're looking at the land, so much of it was BLM land that we're able to canal it in and it comes up and around different agricultural fields you know when coming across the midwest and the interstates and the farms i mean the amount of land acquisition that would have to happen just to make this possible is uh, dollars and numbers and money and and time that i i just don't think exist and if it does ever come together on a 50-year time frame we need to be able to exist in 50 years which is what y'all are doing today ensuring we have that renewable resource managed well and, and allocated correctly
1: exactly yeah we need to always you know, that's something that we do every day we consider that short-term time frame you know in the next year the midterm time frame how do we look in the next five years and then we really have to plan in that that 10 to 50 year planning horizon as we look towards the future
0: Vanessa carcer and noli templeton of cap
3: I certainly hope that y'all found the previous hour on the Central Arizona Project beneficial. I'm asked as I travel the country all the time, how could you people possibly still be building houses in Arizona? You're out of water. Oh, no, we're not. Thankfully for the foresight of projects like the Central Arizona Project people are surprised all the time to find out just how good Arizona has it when it comes to long-term water supply, as opposed to some of our neighboring states. (laughs) We're in a very, very good position. Now, I will say this. In researching this uh, segment on CAP, I found out the CAP was used for something I never knew it was used for. Just last week, Phoenix Fire and Police Department use the CAP for swift current rescue training. I think that's I think that's brilliant. And they're doing that in preparation for the monsoon, which believe it or not, with today's temperature scheduled to be, uh, you know, north of 105, toasty. Yeah, and uh we're, we're talking maybe 108, 110 and plus over the next 10 days.
0: Burnt toasty.
3: <laughs> but we're only 5% humidity. <laughs> Waiting for the monsoon moisture to get sucked up here. And we need that high, high dry heat to do that monsoon refers to a shift in wind currents as well as humidity and we're going to be talking about monsoon prep in the 10 o'clock hour as well as taking your calls about anything having to do with your house home castle or cabin but I want to finish this hour up on water so that so that we don't have either a over rational fear of our condition, nor do I want an overconfident uh, emotion about our situation. We need to deal with it realistically. And I think the one statistic that came out in that last hour that people need to hear more and more and more is in 1957, Arizona had a little over a million people. In 1957, Arizona had a million people. What are we bordering on right now? Seven and a half, eight million? That's pretty accurate. We use the same amount of water in this state today as we did in 1957. That's the results of human ingenuity, planning, and engineering. So hats off to all the people responsible for that Huge savings. Now, let me tell y'all at Rosie on the House, we've been talking about it for a long time. As a matter of fact, those of you long term listeners know uh, John J. Harper and I, we, he and I go back way back. I mean, we went to high school together. Uh, that's how far back John J. and I go. Uh, we actually played in the same backfield on the football team. And so the coach decided to start giving him the football every time. And uh, I was smaller, but they wanted me to block for him. It didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, with John, uh, Mr. Harper held the rushing record at our high school for many, many years. Uh, but we've always challenged each other while he joined us in the landscape hour about uh, let's see if we can't each save 10%. If everyone in Arizona could save 10% of their water consumption, it would be monumental absolutely monumental okay and what it would do is it would keep more water in the reservoirs but the other thing it would do is it would slightly change your focus and not your lifestyle it wouldn't change one thing about your lifestyle but it would change your focus and it would get you in the discipline of paying attention to a couple things Saving 10% of your water consumption, I'm telling you, is easy. It does not require a big, massive change of exterior landscaping, although the outside of our house is where we use most of our water. Let's just pay attention to it. Let's make sure it's not running off. Let's make sure it's not ending up in the curb. Let's make sure it's not ending up on the driveway. Drifting down to the neighbor's yard. All right? It's very, very simple. Now, if you would like a really fun visual tutorial of the CAP, go to rosieonthehouse.com right now. Go to our homepage. And on the homepage, right there on the top full, first thing you'll see when you get to this website is a helicopter tour that Romy and I did of the CAP back in 2019. And it's uh, narrated and it's animated and it shows you things like uh, if you ever do accidentally fall in, (laughs) I hope you don't, you know there are escape ladders all along the 300 miles of the CAP. Do you know there are game crossing bridges so that the game can continue their natural route of migration that they've developed over the hundreds and hundreds of years? Do you know that we have pumping stations? If we take the water out of the Colorado River and get it down to Tucson, you know how many pumping stations there are? That's not all downhill. And how about when we get to the Salt River or the Verde River? What are we going to do there? We're going to go under it. How do we do that? Pumping stations. It's really a great little video. I think you'll like it. Now I want to give you all a heads up about an online session called the CAP University. It's coming up in July. You register. It's free. It's about an hour and a half. It gives you the history of the CAP, the relationship it has to the Colorado River, the water deliveries. It's a great session. CAP University. That is July 11th. Stay tuned. Ten o'clock hour. We're taking your calls about home ownership, home improvement, home remodeling, and home maintenance right here at Rosie on the House.